Good day, folks. What's going on? Paul George in studio with Conk. Happy to be here, Paul. How you doing? You know, uh, someone did tell me this week I got an email about the show. Not complaining. But there was a complaint sort of in the email. Really? That for those of you guys who have been listening to the show for a while, podcasts or whatever, said that he missed Uncle Chad. Yeah. That was the, you know, the third edition to the show for a time and season. We brought Chad <laughs> in during the pandemic Yeah, when we, you know, had nothing to do. Yeah. No, Chad, he brought it. And he was sitting at home yeah. with nothing to do. <laughs> he was great. And so we called him and then he just, he just like tagged along for the show for like how long? A year? A year. I mean. I mean, he became a part of us. It's true. I feel like putting together a compilation of all of his best have you seens. I mean, we had some good ones from like steaks grown from your own cheek. Oh, I remember that one. To like, I don't know, McFlurry's. There was, I remember a story about McFlurry machines. That was pretty interesting. I don't know. He, 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 brought, he brought his best. Yeah. The thing about Chad is that he would laugh at the have you seens before he would do them. <laughs> That's true. He, he was, you know. Anyway, so thanks for being a part of the show. Through all the thick and thin, Dean and Adam. Chad, if you're, if you're listening, we miss you, buddy. You know, you were part of the show before you were a deacon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this show has been part of my uh, vocation story. Your formation. <laughs> yeah. Part of your discernment. <laughs> That's right. That's maybe. right. Maybe. Yeah, I'm coming up on two years ordained, and we've been doing the show, oh my, is it five years? At least. Wow. Yeah, it's been. Five years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's like a college degree worth. We've majored in the Paul George show. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, welcome to the show, everyone, whether on the podcast or on the radio. Thanks for being a part of it. We're in a great time and season of life, so it's good. Got a good show. So speaking of Uncle Chad, mm -hmm. do you, in his memory, well, he's still alive, by the way, <laughs> so can we say memory or honor? Maybe both. I don't okay, know. <laughs> in his memory and honor, <laughs> do you have a heavy scene? What did you say? That is so interesting. Oh, for real, though? Yeah, so this is a neat story out of England um, just last week. So there was this dog that was missing, mm -hmm. this beloved dog. And it was on a piece of property in England that was pretty big. So it was a big country place, right? And a lot of dangers there. So he worked with the local police. It's a small town to find this dog. They were working together. And some of that had the idea to fly a drone over the property to maybe find the dog that way, right? Because a drone is quicker than by foot. Gotcha. They found the dog. Okay. All right? But they found the dog in kind of a dangerous area where apparently it's on the coast and the water was kind of coming in and the dog, if he wouldn't move, leave where he was, he would drown. And the time was of the essence. All right? Okay. And the dog was not cooperating with them, like not, not doing what they told him. And they couldn't get to the dog. So, one police officer has a life-saving idea. He attaches a sausage to the drone. <laughs> I kid you this not. This is a true story? This is a true story. Uh, well, Millie is the dog's name, a three-year-old Jack Russell uh, whippet mix. And this is out of um, Hampshire, England. So, it's, it's legit. This happened on January 13th And they do have year. legit sausages there. They do. So, they, they tie a sausage to the drone, okay. fly the drone to the dog, mm -hmm. and lure it to safety successfully, saving the dog's life. Wow. 
Wow. That's, that's, um, reminds me of uh, a joke someone told me when I was in elementary school. They said, you know, you're so, you're so <laughs> ugly. <laughs> you tied a pork chop around your neck, your dog wouldn't even play with you. <laughs> and I was like, man, that, that's, uh, that's pretty bad. That hurts. So they put a sausage on a drone to attract the dog yeah, there's, they into just, safety. They tied a long string about, I don't know, 30 feet worth from the drone to the sausage uh-huh. and then flew the drone <laughs> to where the sausage would like entice the dog and it worked because they couldn't get to the dog. It was like this marshy area, kind of like Louisiana coast. Yeah. It looks like that. Right. Um, so it was hard to get to the dog in time before the, the tide would come in, hmm. but they got it done and Millie's safe and sound. Hmm. So, and that, it was a local policeman. So way to go, local cop there. You know, that could go either way. And like in our day, in our life, right? Like, it can go either way. Like, we could be attracted to something or enticed or say, like, if you were to use an analogy for the way Satan works in our lives is, think about fishing. You know, like, if a fish knew that that, if that the lure had a hook on it, it wouldn't bite it, right? Mm. But the whole thing is to, like, dress the hook, you know, with this lure around it that like looks like a like a crawfish or a fish or a worm or whatever, and then the fish bites it. I mean that's how Satan works. Like it, it's not like he just flashes a hook in front of us because we're like, oh, it's a hook. He flashes a lure that's that's attractive, and then underneath is 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 the hook, and we don't see it till after we. And so that's how he, he works. You know, in our lives, he's constantly luring us, mm-hmm. you know, into temptation or away from what we're focusing on. Or it can go the other way where the church and its beauty and sacraments and the gospel and sacred scripture and all these elements and things and realities that point us to God can lure us in the right direction. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, and so it, it could go either way either way in our day and in our life. Yeah, a lot of the classic spiritual exercises, let's say St. Ignatius of Loyola and his spiritual exercises, revolve around that exact idea, is that Satan is in our life luring us a certain way. You know, he's he's trying to build a kingdom with us in it. But God is also in our life luring us a certain way. And that if we pay attention to our own desires, our own things that we want for a life that are good and noble— and learn to trust those impulses, learn to discern the voice of God pulling us in a certain direction, mm-hmm. then we can find the will of God and find safety like little Millie did, right? Like we can we can follow God into that green pasture that he wants to shepherd us in. Um, but if we never learn the difference, you know, the difference between Satan's sausage and, and God's sausage, right? Like if we never learn the distinction, then the devil wins because he'll be able to confuse us and distract us, even with holy things. Like he can even use good things to draw us away from where God wants to be. I mean, how many times do Christians fight over good things? It, he, you're right. You can yeah. use good things. He could use theology. Mm-hmm. He could use money. He could use friendship. He can use all these things that are that are that can be used for good that can he twists. Okay, so... You know, I've often heard this, you know, outside of the lure analogy, uh, is that Satan basically, in, in the sense of the way he works in our lives, and and the, the longer that you are trying to live for Christ and, and, you know, do, be faithful, right? Like, the subtlety of temptation becomes different, right? 
becomes more lurid, more hidden. Mm. You know, it's not just like obvious, oh, there's a hook, let me bite it, right? Where someone who's deep into sin, it's like the hook's the hook, man. And and it's like, whoa. The is that Satan takes the truth and twists it into a lie, mm-hmm. right? Where God, you know, does, obviously doesn't do that, but he, he'll take a, a, a true thing and, and begin to twist a little lie to it, like he did with Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. And, and there, so there's this element of good, maybe, even in it. He could use good things to twist and tempt us away. Yeah, 100%. I mean, this is what he did with Jesus himself. He used scripture and tried to convict Jesus about one part of the truth. In other words, if this is true, if you are the son of God, well, God said he's going to not allow your um, you know, foot to be cut on the stone or whatever. So throw yourself down. So taking one aspect of the truth and say, look, because you're convicted about this, here's an irrational conclusion about that. And we do that all the time to where the devil will use our passions and what makes like... Okay, so you're convicted about liturgy, you're convicted about scripture, you're convicted about evangelization. Great. The rational conclusion or the irrational in, in reality, but he'll say, then you should be against these people, or you should be against this movement, or you should be fighting this fight. Well, actually, no, right? Like, just because that's true, that doesn't make other things false. The big picture is true, right? right? But that's how he does it with these with with faithful Catholics and Christians all the time. It's like, let me get you really fired up about one aspect of the puzzle and then lead you astray. Beware of the drone sausage. <laughs> exactly. You know, I I mean anything. Like he time is good, but he, he can disorder our time. He can twist it. We can we can we can misuse time. We can mm-hmm. we can he work. Work can be good, is mm-hmm. good. We can become workaholics. We can work too much. Money could be used for good. We could certainly get lost in that. Sexuality, God intended it to be good, right? And he could twist sexuality and and perversion, right? Like he takes all the things that God created good and begin to twist those things to where it entices us to live this life that is, you know, not virtuous, that is away from God. And, you know, like you, you brought up St. Ignatius in Spiritual Exercises, is that he talks a lot about the, the subtleties of the enemy, right? And the voice of the enemy that just moves us slightly off course, right? So if you were sailing a ship or driving a ship across the ocean, what they're saying is that like one degree off course over time is like 90 degrees when you arrive. So think about that. You know, you, you, you leave Europe and you're aiming for America, you're one degree off, you end up in South America. Mm-hmm. You end up in Antarctica. Like, like that's what happens is there's the subtlety one degree off, right? But, but the beauty of is that God's voice is louder, more peaceful, more joyful mm-hmm. uh, th- than the enemy's. And, and when we begin to recognize God's voice, the voice of beauty, the voice of peace, then he just aligns us back. So, you know, we get off course a little bit, like we, we align back, you know, and that's, that's why we, we need obviously prayer and the sacraments and the church and community, all those things that realign us with God. Well, today's we record, it's the feast of the conversion of St. Paul. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly his story, right? I mean, he was doing good things, quote unquote. I mean, he was zealous for the law 
uh, Christians were the enemy. Like the devil used his conviction about the truth, his piece of that puzzle to convict him. He needed to fight Christians. Right? He was doing what he thought was right and what exactly. was honorable and what was true. And he was following that, right? Well, God had to intervene. God had to step in. God had to invade the situation to show him the big picture of truth, the reality of it all. Um, and then he becomes the hero. And it's never too late for us to have those moments. You know, that ship, we can't correct it. And when we when we realize how far off course we are, we can become despairing or despondent and not... But God can move us right back. You know, St. Paul became the hero he is um, because he was willing to let God move him. And he wasn't despairing about his past, but he was confident in God's mercy. I mean, if anyone, any one of us could be scrupulous for the rest of our lives and be, woe is me, I've done terrible things, it's St. Paul. Right. But he found the health and the healing and the, the joy of the gospel and let God correct his path. Right. Or we can be over scrupulous with, with all the, we, you know, I'm, we can be really distracted with, even within the church mm-hmm. and be very sinful in the way we treat people and argue theology and religion and we're not charitable and loving and accepting and it, you know, it, it go both ways. You know, when you, you mentioned the story of Paul's conversion, I was reading that. And the thing that stuck out to me is like, we don't pay attention to Ananias who's in the story. Mm-hmm. God speaks to Ananias. So here, you know, Paul has this major conversion. He's blind. He gets, you know, dropped off at this house. He's blind. He's probably freaking out. Like, you know, I'll never see again. I don't know what's going on. And this guy, Ananias, you know, just the disciple who's just praying in his house. And God speaks to him and says, hey, go and, uh, you know, you need to pray over this guy, Paul. And he's like, no, man, I heard he was a murderer. <laughs> right. And then the Lord speaks to him again and says, no, I'm telling you, just go and do it. I, it's really interesting to me because the enemy could have just stopped right there, Ananias, in, in his fear. Mm-hmm. I said, I can't do, go do that. Like, I'm not worthy to do that. That guy's dangerous. I'm going to... And and the voice of God, like he was able in the midst of all that confusion to hear the voice of God and, and to do and act on the word that God spoke to him. Yeah. Well, and it takes a maturity, and I think that's, to me, that's the takeaway from this conversation that I'm going to ponder the rest of the day, which is it takes the maturity and relationship with the Lord to know the difference between the devil's voice and God's voice. And Ananias had a prayer life, obviously, where he matured as a Christian to know when God was speaking Mm -hmm. and to know the difference between his fear, his anxiety that the devil will use to guide him and the peace and the joy of, of God's voice. And so if Ananias had not taken that time to mature, to let God continue to work on him into Christian maturity, we wouldn't have St. Paul. He wouldn't have gotten baptized, right? Like it... The plan of the gospel is that Christians mature and come to know God's voice that will guide them in their life and to reject. I mean, what are our baptismal promises? To reject Satan and his empty show, like all those lures, all those tricks he's going to pull that we don't want to live like that, you know, but rather we want to live according to God our Father and, and salvation in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, absolutely. Man, I can tell you one thing that I'm I'm glad of is that as a kid, I didn't have drones. They didn't have drones when I was a kid. I would have gotten in so much trouble. <laughs> I was already in trouble, like just mischievous, like doing 
crazy things as a kid, always outside, like just, yeah, you know, whatever. If I had a drone, there's no telling what I would have done with that thing. So you wouldn't have saved puppies. You would have done I mean, I might have done things. both. I would have been like, hey, there's a sausage. There's a there's a puppy missing. Let's go get him. But I, I also might have, like, spied on people or, like, you know, like. Messed with people, yeah. Messed with people or, like, whatever. Like, mm. put fireworks and drop them in people's <laughs> yards. I don't know. My mind's going everywhere. I'm just glad that I didn't have a drone as a kid. Yeah. Because I would have had a lot of fun. Yeah, maybe not the best fun. Well, I mean, you know. Noble fun. Right. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So speaking of noble fun, we're going to take a break and we'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. Thanks for listening in today on the radio, KLFT Radio here in Acadiana area or on the podcast, wherever you are. Appreciate you being a part of the show. Just so you know, like if if that situation with the drone and sausage happened here, <laughs> there it would probably be like what we would put on that drone to attract the dog into safety would be like boudin. Yeah. Yeah, or just like a crawfish, a boiled crawfish. Boiled crawfish. Um, you know, there's some things that like you could put on that drone. Yeah. The thing is, is that if you did that here, people would... <laughs> You'd get, pick up a few people on the way. <laughs> yeah. People would shoot the drone down. <laughs> and, or just start chasing after the boudin. <laughs> and take the boudin. And for those of you guys who don't know what boudin is, it's, it's a sausage casing stuffed with rice and meat and all good things all good things basically i don't know not to boil it down sim- simplicity because i think like a like a boudin cons- how would you say it connoisseur would mm. get a little upset with this mm-hmm. so i'm not trying to like i'm just trying to give like a basic understanding of boudin for someone who's like living in like it is hard to explain milwaukee yeah. okay yeah is take jambalaya and shove it in a sausage casing yeah yeah, fair enough. You know, and turn up the heat a little bit. But it, yeah, and every yeah. but it, all the jambalaya is like ground up, like the meat, mm-hmm. and the and then you know, and then you just it's like a it's like a burst of flavor in your mouth. Yeah, and it's not it's not uh, you wouldn't want this on like your diet. No, it's not diet food. No, and I actually don't know anything in Louisiana that should be on your diet. Yeah, we don't have we don't have <laughs> diet food as part of our culture. Now boiled seafood that's. That's actually, yeah, flavorful and yeah, I guess so. you know it's not super fattening. It's not fried or shrimp in particular. You know, yeah, you know, crawfish can be a little fatty, but shrimp, very clean, clean animal, <clears throat> clean animal. <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, man. Uh, so thanks everybody for being a part of the show. This segment, uh, Adam and I were talking. I think, I think I'm pretty sure that you have a weird Catholic stuff. <laughs> What? Are you joking? 
can't tell if you're serious right now. You have to be making this up. Weird Catholic stuff! Alright, um... You have one? Yeah. Or so, did you just want to do that intro? No, I do have one, okay, and, good. and I want to do the intro. Okay. But, uh... And I want to watch you do your air bass. I think it was air bass, or was that guitar? It was electric. Okay. It went from the drums to the electric. You were shredding it. Yep. Yeah. Very good. Did you know... Um, this is no offense to those who are listening who may identify this way, but did you know that we have a patron saint for ugly people? No, I can relate. <laughs> this is good, especially yeah. as I get older. Yeah, I feel very comfortable. Like I have comforted. skin hanging where I never knew. Well, it just tells me that everybody needs somebody on their side. And so if you, if you find yourself unsightly or unattractive, um, you have a patron saint, and that is Saint Drago. Well, the church is so great that it, it includes everyone. <laughs> That's right. You poor <laughs> it people. Just name it. I mean, especially, you know, living in the day and time where everything is like, you know, socially acceptable and culturally and woke is that, <laughs> you know, we have a saint that's like, hey, you think you're ugly? We got a saint for you. <laughs> well, okay. So St. Drago was born in 1105 and he was actually a nobleman. So he had some money. But he was orphaned mm. as a teenager, and he apparently had some kind of medical issue around that time mm-hmm. that was pretty serious. But he's he's kind of left all his money, became a, a hermit, and so he, he did severe penances. And so it's not like his medical affliction got better, it got worse. Mm. The more he did penance, the more he lived on his own, um, that kind of thing. And so... Apparently, he became so unsightly that whenever we would come into town to beg for whatever, like, people did not want to be around him. Gotcha. It probably smelled a bit. I don't mm. know. So, St. Drago, um, however... Part part self-inflicted. Yes. I mean, for example, he was one of these that lived only on the Eucharist for a while. Mm. One of these miraculous stories where a person only consumes the Eucharist and lives for, for years. Um, so, anyway, that's his story. And... You know, the church saw the opportunity, like, hey, you ever feel like St. Drago? Like, people just don't want to be around you because of the way you look? Hmm. You're, you, now he's your patron. He's also the patron of, or one of the patrons of coffee, just so you know. Well, so, as we're drinking. Yeah, he drank coffee. And uh, so he's a, he's a patron of that. So thanks, St. Drago. But um, that is weird. But, you know, to, to kind of drill down into that, like, the reality is this for all of us. And, and look, I've had hundreds of conversations with folks and this and me is that I think there's always a moment in time in our life where we feel insecure. We feel unlovable, mm-hmm. unacceptable, <laughs> you know, ugly, you know, like I'm not good enough, pretty enough, attractive enough, handsome enough, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, this whole culture we live in. And I, I mean, I think the intercession of St. Drago more than ever to really, intercede to speak truth into who our identity was because for him like like the penance and his growth in Christ like you have to be so sure of your identity and beauty inside that you're not so concerned about you know like what people think of you mm-hmm. right yeah and like you said the ins- I, the older i get the more i appreciate the factor that insecurity is in adult life. Like I've, I'm continually amazed in myself and others, how long 
drama can go on or dysfunction or things not being quite right, either in the way I parent or in the way I work with people. Like insecurity is such a factor in human dynamics. And what and I say that to say I'm also come to appreciating more and more the gift we have in Jesus Christ because he does overcome every insecurity. If we do, like you said, find identity in him and rest in the love of God for us, regardless of what people think about us, there's such a peace and freedom for us and for the people we work with. Because even the most beautiful people can feel ugly. And the most ugly people can feel beautiful, right? Because there are no ugly people. God doesn't make ugly people, right? Right. And so it's irrational for any human being to feel like God messed up with them, like God made something ugly or defective. He doesn't do that. Um, so whatever is making us feel that way is irrational. Right. And St. Drago understood that, obviously, but the church understood that we we need a patron saint. So when we feel that way, um, either emotionally, spiritually, or physically unattractive, St. Drago is our guy. St. Drago, you know, pray for me. Yeah, you know, we mentioned the conversion of St. Paul. We celebrate this week as a feast day. Some traditions or thoughts have said that, you know, St. Paul wasn't the most attractive guy out there either. Sharp nose. You know, uh, thorn in his side, Mm -hmm. sort of honorary. He Mm -hmm. murdered people. Yeah. Um, You know, like just, which like... Look, look what he did for the Lord. Like, it didn't matter. Now, I don't know what's attractive or not. Like, I have no idea. But the reality, maybe he let himself go. Maybe he had, like, long hair and a big beard and, like, just didn't care. Long like, fingernails. Did, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, certainly we need to take care of ourselves. Like, we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Like, we're, we're you know, body and soul. Like, so we should take care of the gift that God has given us. But the reality is our identity is not in who we are on the outside, but who we are on the inside, who Christ created us to be, who speaks to us, right? And I, I was having <clears throat> a lunch meeting with with someone last week, you know, young young adult, and it was interesting. Like, like what kept coming out in 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 our conversation was that this person felt like, you know, he was a failure, and he was afraid of fear of like doing like kind of making and taking some risks moving forward mm. in his life. So he just stayed like safe in his decisions and like in a real comfort, comfort level, but it was all just rooted in like this, this fear of his, and, and being, being certain in his identity in Christ. Like somehow, I guess what I'm getting at is that failure had defined who he was, right? Mm. His inability to, accomplish or do certain things based on what the world standards are, you know, a college education or a certain job and, and the fact that he hadn't achieved those or gotten the, the, you know, certain benchmarks, he had defined himself by those things as failure and then therefore had taken on failure as his identity and, and then was trapped. Right. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, that's what Christ comes to set us free from, right? Just believing those lies. And we're talking about in the first segment, how the enemy can just take something. And if you think the enemy isn't super excited about him being trapped in his fear, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, because on the the battlefield front, like, you know, Satan has that battle won in his heart. 
mm-hmm. because it, it's stopping him from operating fully in a life of Christ. Now he's working through it, right? Praise God. But like we all get to those moments where Satan has won a battle in our heart, has made us believe something that's a lie about ourselves or about someone else mm-hmm. or about this or that, and we believe that that it's true. And it and it and and Satan has twisted that, and therefore I believe so and so hates me. I I believe this about myself. I'm not good enough, or I'm afraid of this, or I'm a failure, or I you know I think this about. And then it just traps us in, in this lie. Yeah, trapped is the right word. And that's the urgency of this situation is that as long as I'm trapped, I can't live life the way God is calling me to live it. And I can't have the effect that God's calling me to have in the world and in my church and in my family and my own life. And so there's an urgency to deal with our insecurities. And, you know, I've, I've noticed certain signs in myself of when, oh, Something's touching on insecurity of mine. So, for example, if I tend to want to shut down or, like, not address something with somebody, like I don't feel comfortable enough saying what needs to be said, usually that is a sign of my own insecurity, something I need to wrestle with and realize that, you know, this person doesn't hate me. They don't think I'm terrible. Like, I just – or maybe they do, but regardless, I need to say what God wants me to say. And so I've learned to recognize those red flags in myself of my insecurities being touched on and learn to, in those moments, ask for God's help. You know, like in that experience of insecurity to say, God, you want me to do something. You want me to say something, and I want to do that. And, you know, honestly, over time, you do get freed. Mm -hmm. Like you don't have to live life by your fears and insecurities of not measuring up. You can find a freedom to talk honestly with people, even if it's uncomfortable, um, and and don't look back. Right. You know? No, that's that's very true. You know, this week I was, you know, we were talking about the uh, the saint calendar for this week. Powerhouse. Yeah, and sometimes you look at the week and you're like, I don't know any of these folks, man. That's awesome, but I don't know really anything about them. And so you research and you read about them. And you're like, oh, that's kind of like Saint cool. Drago, the, the yeah, ugly. Yeah, Saint Drago. But this week, look, in one week we got Saint Francis de Sales. Boom. On January 24th. Conversion of St. Paul. Boom. On the 25th. Saints Timothy and Titus. Hey, now. Double shot. Boom. On the 26th. And then on the 28th, we have St. Thomas Aquinas. You've heard of him? He's been around. So, like, just in this week, like, I don't know how you get through the week without. And then I feel sorry for, like, you know, Servant of God, Brother Juniper, who falls in this week. He's like, man, nobody's looking at me. You know, I'm definitely not the star of this show. Saint uh, Saint Angela uh, Marici, yeah, Marici, as well. I mean, those are yeah, great yeah. saints, but like they're, they're kind of you know hidden within this week of like these these big timers who you know obviously uh, have churches named after of them, and you know mm-hmm. have done you know amazing things or doctors of the church, all these things. Yeah, well. In teaching, and I'm sure you've got this question before, but like when you're teaching theology or the faith or whatever, and you start to describe um, heaven and certain realities of heaven that like, you know, when saints have greater glory, like the Blessed Virgin Mary, she she has a greater glory in heaven than like me. We're both fully happy, fully alive in God, but she has a greater share in the glory of God for all eternity than I do. And they always ask, well, 
will I be jealous of Mary? Will I be jealous of other saints? Is there a jealousy in heaven? And the answer is absolutely not. Because the beautiful thing about heaven is that the glory that Mary has is available to me to enjoy. So I don't have her glory, but she shines like the moon um, with, with the sun that is God's light. She shines so brightly that I get to enjoy her light. I rejoice in what God has done in Mary, and I experience the joy of Mary, not because I have it myself, but because she's generous in sharing it with me. And same thing with these great saints, you know. St. Thomas Aquinas, what a great light in the history of the church. And so we're not going to be jealous of St. Thomas in heaven, like, man, I wish I had his spot. But actually, we get to rejoice in his light, you know? Like, he will share everything God has done in him now becomes what God does in me in heaven, and I get to rejoice. And so, yeah, if you're St. Juniper or... or um, St. Drago, like, they're not jealous of St. Thomas Aquinas. <laughs> they're rejoicing with St. Thomas Aquinas forever. And I'll be friends with St. Thomas Aquinas. That's nuts to me. Like, when I get to heaven, St. Thomas will be like, hey, man, I've been waiting for you. Really? Because you've had a lot of fans over the years, but you've been waiting for me? That's interesting. <laughs> what a mystery. You know, I don't really think about that in a sense of, like, you know, what would, you know, what would heaven be like with the saints? You know, because, I mean, really, it's all a mystery. You know, we have sort of educational, you know, guesses and, and like, you know, theological sort of, you know, understandings, but ultimately like we, we have no idea. That's right. You know, we can predict and sort of think it out, but you know, I have no idea like what those conversations would be like, <laughs> you know, I, I don't even know. Like, a, I'm just like hoping to like get there, you know, like mm-hmm. at this point, you know, I don't think I'm going to be on the saint calendar you know, 200 years from now. Well, of the two of us, you have the best shot. Oh, you think so? Oh, yeah. Really? Uh, if, if I had to choose to invest... No, you. Something in that direction, it would be on your side yeah. of the table. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you haven't lived at my house. You, know? <laughs> you haven't seen me behind closed doors, you know, all the time. I mean, and you are a deacon. I mean, you have the, the Earl of Ordination. The to, Earl. To kind of help you. A little grace. Yeah, and even that I can't get right. You know? <laughs> Got so much going for me, but... Yeah. Nope. Nope. <laughs> Sorry, you're just going to be deacon, but not Saint Deacon. You know, were there any saints that were deacons? Yeah, and and they get little recognition. I know that there there have been. Yeah, for sure. But, but do you, do you I mean, remember the, any? The most famous and well loved, of course, is uh, Saint. Well, yes, Stephen was a deacon. Good call. So but, yes, in the history of the church, Saint Stephen stands out. But second to him. And today, a little more famous would be St. Francis of Assisi, who became a deacon towards the end of his life um, and chose not to pursue priesthood because he didn't feel worthy enough, is what they say. But I think, you know, having discerned a diaconal vocation, I can relate to what he was experiencing now, mm-hmm. I think, more. Right. It's like it really is a different call. There's a, um, there's a particular call f- to the diaconate for those that are not going to pursue priesthood, that the Lord doesn't want to become a priest that I can relate to more now with St. Francis of Assisi. And he, he just had that dynamic. Yeah, yeah you forget that St. Francis, who, you know, by all, you know, purposes, is like one of the most famous saints. Names that we remember, what people recognize, even non-Christians or non-Catholics, you know, mm. quote St. Francis of Assisi, sort of almost like a Mother Teresa, right? Like the, yeah. the name just... World famous. Yeah. World famous kind of, you know, impact and resound is that, you know, you don't really think about St. Francis not being a priest. You know, he was a friar, he started a religious order, but never got ordained a priest by choice, 
you know, like in his discernment, but was, you know, a deacon. Therefore, like he had priests in his religious order who had, you know, more faculties than he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is what, like, which is the beauty of like discernment and living in your your call and your identity. And like you said, like, there's no saint that's jealous of another saint. Like, when you live in your the call that God has on your heart and you do what God wants for you and you respond to that, then you're not looking at other people and saying, well, they're better than me or I should have did that or they have it better or whatever. We no longer compare and contrast. We're just living in the call that God's called on me. So like you're called to be a deacon. Like I'm not looking at you being like, man, I mean, I think it's great, but like I got to live in my call and my identity in Christ and be comfortable in that and rejoice in that, right? And like mm-hmm. we rejoice in each other because we we want what's best for each other in our pursuit of Christ. Yeah, and and, and if we we got to come to the point where we realize that in Christ it all belongs to us. Your the gifts of your marriage and your children and like what God has called you to do benefit me, right? Not I don't have to be everything to have everything. We have all in Christ, and so. What God has done in everyone's life, priests, religious, lay people, uh, bishops, martyrs, all those riches of grace and glory are mine as a Christian. I get to enjoy it. I get to benefit from my relationship with you and, and other Catholics and Christians, and it's not in competition with me, right? Like, it's not like, I, I don't know, you probably heard this from people, I don't know how many times I've heard it, especially older men, this phrase, I probably could have been a priest, but this problem or this, that, and like, I just, you know, as if to say only priests really love God the most, mm-hmm. you know, or like there was some gift God wanted to give me, but he, I just wasn't ready for it or something. That's not the way this, all this works, right. you know? Um, God gives the whole church the priesthood, the gift of the priesthood. And some of us are priests to make that gift continue throughout the ages to give the church the priesthood. But it's a gift he gave me, not to become a priest, but by the priests in my life, Jesus is a priest to me. You know, yeah. it, it, I get to enjoy the priesthood. And and so anyway, we we all share the treasury of grace. And the goal is not to just get my little piece of that puzzle that I'm going to have, and I'm jealous of your piece of the puzzle. It's all ours in Christ. You know? Yeah. So we can move from like jealousy to appreciation. I appreciate appreciate the call of the diaconate in you and in others and in the church. I appreciate and love the call of the priesthood and their role, the sacrament, what obviously they offer of marriage, of single life, so that we we appreciate and we build each other up. So, you know, one of the readings from this past Sunday was, you know, we're, we're all one body with different parts and we work together. I mean, like when you go back to that, that reading, speaking of St. Paul, right, is like he he's... They struggled with this back then, like, oh, you get to be a priest and you're a deacon, and you're an apostle and a disciple, and you get to start this church and mm-hmm. you get to do this, and you know, like, I'm just a servant and you know, whatever. And he's like, hey, hold on, like, in Christ, like, we're one body, but we have different parts, like the eye works, the the ears, the mouth, the feet, the hands, and it all comes together to form the beautiful body of Christ. Some of us are more attractive than others. St. Drago. <laughs> Some of us have different gifts. We all have different gifts. At, like, that's the beauty. And when we zoom out, and I think what happens the most is like the, the infighting and the dissension is so much surrounded by comparison and jealousy mm-hmm. instead of 
this love and appreciation for what people bring and their gifts and, and being encouragers in that for each other is really freeing when you get to that point in your life. It's freeing because that's what heaven is, right? So part of our conversion, either in this life or in purgatory, is to move from that jealous, competitive nature to that I have all things in Christ and I rejoice in the gifts he's given you. And the, like, that's got to happen in us mm-hmm. or we go to hell. <laughs> you know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. That's, the, that's the seriousness of this, but also the freedom of this. And so we can either let God do that for us in this life where we go through that conversion mm. and we find that freedom now. Or in purgatory, but it's got to happen, and it's better to do it now um, because it's keeping us from growing in holiness that I'm not willing to let the blessings God wants to give me through you enter my life. Like I see your gifts and talents or whatever. If I see it as a threat to me or a competition to me, I'm not going to become the saint God's called me to be. So there's an urgency right now in my life and in your life to accept the blessings God wants to give me through other people and the great things he's done in them. It's I'm pretty urgent. jealous of your beard, though. I mean... I could get that. Yeah. I don't know if I should pray to St. Drago for my beard or, or... I can never... I mean, honestly, like, I couldn't, on my best day, ever grow a beard like that. So People say that. It's... I uh, don't know. Because have oh, you ever tried? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You've that, tried to grow? That's a long story. Okay. <laughs> but anyway. Well, okay. we got a six-pack of questions coming up. <laughs> Guess what one of them's going to be? <laughs> yeah. All right. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. Thanks for listening in today, being a part of the show. If uh, you missed part of it, you can... Uh, what a show. Go back, go back on the podcast. Yeah. Google Play, iTunes, whatever. And listen to the... The great content. You missed a lot if you didn't hear the video. <laughs> we covered some ground. That's I'm what they call that. Patriot saying an ugly folk, Satan sausage. Like it was all in this episode. So. And it all ties together randomly, <laughs> which is kind of like one of the random gifts I have. I can just bring it all together. That's definitely your charism. Yeah. Let's put this all together. Speaking of Drago, like was it that like a, the Russian name for the movie Rocky? That The, the yeah. Rocky fighter? Yeah. Drago. Yeah. Right? Wasn't he the guy that beat up Rocky? That's right. And That's then right. they had a rematch? It's true. It's also a uh, famous New Orleans seafood restaurant. Drago's. Mm-hmm. Man, their oysters charbroiled on the grill with garlic and butter. Nothing ugly about that. Yeah. And another non-dietary thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Just Cajuns FYI. aren't known for like kale and spinach and stuff. Not really. No offense to like Cajuns who eat kale and stuff, but like... Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of just, you know, one mm-hmm. of those things. It's one of those things. But yeah, Drago, I don't know if St. Drago was, was he Russian? Was he from? Flemish. Flemish. What does I, that mean? I don't know. <laughs> That's a, we're going to have to research <laughs> it's one Flemish. Of, one of those Scandinavian countries. But okay, I don't know so which. Scandinavian. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that, that would make sense. 
Okay. Speaking of, since I have questions for you, maybe you got questions for me. Question. Question number one. So we started the show kind of telling the story of Millie, the little dog who was saved by the sausage on a drone who lured her. Which, if you're from my generation, they had to name that dog after Millie Vanilli. Yeah, probably. Which was the the band that lip synced and nobody knew. They made all this money (laughs) and then they got in trouble. So let's say you were going through a rough patch in your life. Maybe you had like a mental breakdown and you were in a situation like Millie. You were out somewhere. We didn't know where you were. (laughs) And we found you on a drone, and you're in danger, but you're not willing to trust people to, to follow direction. I'm stuck. And something had to be attached to a drone to get you out of the situation. What would that something have to be to really work? Now, remember your state of mind. This is not sound, rational, Paul. This is like animal, instinct-only Paul. Mm. What would have to be on that drone? <laughs> the first thing that comes to mind is dollars. Oh, yeah? Dollar bills. <laughs> <laughs> like a briefcase of cash. Just, just dollar stacks. Straight stacks. You're like, okay, you got me. <laughs> I'll follow the drone. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. All right, question number two. Um, so we talked about like coming to know the voice of God leading you versus the devil and how the devil likes to twist truths and things like that. Did you ever have like some early experiences of maybe being very passionate about one issue in the church or something like that, and then you 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 had to come to understand the other side of that issue, like talking to people and kind of growing from that experience, like somebody you thought would was an enemy was actually on your side, kind of thing. Do you know what I'm getting at? Yeah, no, I was actually thinking about that. Interesting that you asked this question because I remember like in high school, later in high school, and as a young adult. You know, when you experience or see something in the faith and someone else hasn't, it's hard to explain it or for them to believe it because they haven't seen it or experienced it, right? Mm. And I remember, like, just getting in a, you know, not a fight, but, like, a pretty, like, dug-in argument with with someone else about the faith. I, I I had witnessed someone receive a healing, like a physical healing. Like, a priest prayed over this person received healing. And I saw multiple occasions like that. Okay. I mean, I didn't make it up. Like I saw it and like God moved and I knew that it was God. Like it was, you know, and this person was like, that doesn't happen. Like, no, like that doesn't happen in the Catholic church. It doesn't happen. I don't see it in scripture. Well, we find it in scripture where the gift of healing is there. And he's like, well, that happened then, but not now. So people interpret scripture to where, oh, that only happened then, but that doesn't happen now. Yada, yada. And I remember just finally just saying, okay, like we can agree to disagree because you just haven't seen what I've seen. And that's okay. We can both still love God and follow God and just know different aspects of the faith, Mm. you know, and still love each other. And it's just not worth like digging into the point where it's like, well, you're crazy, I'm crazy. And so we're just not going to get along. Mm. Hmm. Question number three. So we talked about St. Paul. this week, and that's your namesake. Mm. Tell me about your journey with having that patron. That's a pretty sweet patron. Um, what are kind of your benchmarks in your life, kind of come and understand the special relationship with your namesake, you know? Well, I think there would be one thing that Paul and I have in common, uh, besides being brash and a big nose, because <laughs> <clears throat> that's common. 
is uh, the love of Scripture. You know, so a lot of my conversion happened by reading Scripture. And, you know, St. Paul wrote a lot in the New Testament, mm -hmm. you know, his witness and his writing. And I read a lot of Scripture through my conversion, and it really was the truth that spoke into my heart. Like it was, you know, sacred Scripture, the Word of God is alive. It became alive to me. To the point where, like, I'm looking back and saying, you know, I, I want to get back to that early, those early days where I just absorbed the Bible like it was like water, you know. And I kind of fell in love with St. Paul even before I kind of connected our namesake, right? Because his passion for the faith and then, you know, his the, what I learned from his writings in, in sacred scripture really spoke to me. So, yeah, you know. Pray for his intercession, all of us, for just a love for that scripture, because it's awesome. Right on. All right, question number four. Uh, so we talked about like individuals with gifts and talents and, and this idea of not being jealous and competitive with each other, but to appreciate uh, and glory in each other's gifts. So my question is, this seems like a really prominent issue. I hear from people all the time like, I just don't know enough, you know, and like I go to a Bible study, but I feel like I don't know anything or like this, this insecurity we all have versus mm -hmm. kind of opening up. What advice do you give to people when that kind of shows itself that there's a certain insecurity keeping us from growing, keeping us from uh, pursuing Jesus more, more wholeheartedly because we feel insecure? You know? Yeah. I would just say like, I would just pray for humility and in a sense of humility to be vulnerable with others, ask people questions. Um, ask someone to teach you how to do something, right? Like, and not be so insecure where you're, where you can't admit that. You work at a school mm. for a school to operate, right? Some are in administration, some are teachers. Teachers teach different subjects. Some are better, some are new. Like, when you all work together, the school functions in a most beautiful way, right? Because everybody's doing their thing that they're good at, they're passionate what God's calling them to do. But if the math teacher looks at the English teacher and says, well, I wish I did that and she's better. And, and if, you know, the athletic director like looks at the, you know, the art teacher and says, well, that's not good. And we're all infighting and they look at administration and you know, like when, but when everyone's built up in the kingdom and all hands and feet are working together, like that's when it becomes beautiful, but you can't do that without having love and humility for others. Right. And the humility to just appreciate other people's gifts and to ask other people for help. So a young teacher obviously doesn't know what they're doing. For that young teacher to be like, I got it, is silly. For that young teacher to go to the teacher who's been doing it a while and said, hey, help me out here. How do you do this? That's the beauty of how we walk together to become better, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. All right, question number five. I want to um, kind of focus on married couples with this question, but you know, St. Drago and a patron saint of like ugly folks, this got me really thinking. But, you know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I've heard, I've heard husbands with beautiful wives talk about how, you know, they don't find their wife beautiful or attractive. I'm just blown away by this. Like, what are you talking about? Um, is there a dynamic where like, how important is it for spouses to see the other person as a beautiful person inside and out? Like, is that, is, how do you get to that if maybe you don't see your spouse? Like you just see everything wrong with your spouse. How do you get to a place where you see everything that's right with your spouse instead? Does mm. that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It's just praying for the grace to see right past, you know, the shell and into the heart, the beauty that God created that person, right? Like 
if if I can't see the beauty of my spouse on the inside, the outside makes no difference, right? Mm-hmm. Like we all want to, you know, be attractive on the outside, but like love is like so much deeper than that, you know? And, you know, two things are at play or a few things are at play if we don't find our spouse attractive. One is th- there's unresolved issues between the two. And so like this tension is just making us look at the ugly things in the person, both their traits or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or we somehow think that there's other attractions outside the marriage that we're looking at that are more beautiful. And so we're, dis- you know, we're disoriented in our relationship. But, you know, oh, there's there's more beautiful people out there mm-hmm. that I might be more compatible with. And that's the enemy. That's the enemy twisting and turning so that you're you're not looking at your spouse in a, in a holy and beautiful way, right? Now, every day you're not going to wake up and be like, man, you're the most beautiful person in the world. But that's the goal, like that we should be working to that, to see that person the way Christ does, and to work through any tension and issue that's blocking us from thinking or believing that, right? Mm-hmm. Love it. All right, question number six. You knew this was coming. You casually mentioned that you attempted a beard before. Mm-hmm. I thought you were going to forget about this. Nope, nope. And you said there was a story to that. So the question number six, what is that story? So I can grow a goatee, mm-hmm. and I've done that before. Back, you know, I went on a two-week trip to Europe, you know, years ago, um, and couldn't really shave. Like, we weren't staying in hotels. We were, like, staying in hostels and stuff like that. And so my goatee grew out, re- you know, pretty good. Nice. But like I have patches on the side. Like it's just, I, I just were, was not blessed with the ability to grow <laughs> a lot of facial hair. And I, you know, it's a, it's not a gift that right, I have, right. and I have to be okay with it. Yeah. Appreciate those who can glory in my beard, sir. And just kind of let go of the the understanding that I don't know why. Mm. I I don't know why. Right. Like, yeah. like I don't know why. You know, I'm tall and you're not as tall as me. I'm not as tall I, as it's you. It's just all mystery and we just have to live with what we got. And I'll just say this. You don't need a beard for sure. But what I usually tell folks that tell me exactly what you just said, I tried it for two weeks, three weeks, it was patchy, is you got you to gotta get through the patchy stage. Yeah. There is a stage where it all blends and starts to work. But if you've never gone three months without shaving, you don't know what you have. You right. know what I'm saying? Well, and there's other thing if you're married so for you to grow your beard your wife has to be on board with it she does like my beard which is why i still have it yeah so like and that's that's important right so like you know my wife doesn't necessarily like facial hair and neither do i so we're both on the same page but nice i'm gonna tell you this as honest as i can be (laughs) i'm not trying to like do whatever i've tried to go through the patchy phase it does not work okay not for me Okay. It's just like, I don't know what to tell you. Well, you don't need it. See, an ugly guy like me, I got to cover that up. <laughs> All right. St. Drago, Drago sent me a beard. If you shaved, you <laughs> would look 10 years younger. So you you look kind of like this mysterious, like young old guy kind of mixed. Young old guy, yeah. You know, and like, well, how old is Adam? Well, that's he a, looks young, but he kind of looks old that's because a good I can't really of me, a young old guy. figure like it out. And so you're, <laughs> you're really a mystery. That's what a beard does. It brings mystery. It's a covering. So anyway, well, thanks, bro, for being a part of the show and everyone for listening. Um, feel free to share the show. And thanks to KLFT and everyone here in Acadiana and all the people listening on the podcast. Maybe we'll have some boot in next show. Okay. So we'll be back. Talk to you guys next week. God bless. <laughs>